The Creep Show Chronicles contains graphic and disturbing content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello everyone, I'm Sarah, aka Sam. And I'm Ashley. Welcome to episode 81 of the Creep Show Chronicles. Think about it. We have another show. Well, I have another show called The Drag Chronicles with uh Preston and Roy, who've been on the show before. And we talk about RuPaul's drag race, drag queen dra- drag queens. I'm sorry. <laughs> drag queens. We also focus on uh issues going on in the world like the don't say gay bill, which is a bunch so of bullshit. Stupid. Really? Yes. You said that was in Florida? Yeah. But then other states too, like Tennessee, uh, Utah, I believe, Missouri. Well, when they started this after we got back. Yeah. Damn it. On another note, do you know what we're talking about today? I have no fucking clue. We are talking, oh, this is, no, you don't know because I'm keeping it from you because. Well, you're, well, I, yeah, I mean, I can read it, but I'm not. We're talking about hometown hauntings. Um, this is something that I've wanted to do since we started the podcast was because there's a lot of like haunted shit in our area. We're from the central Illinois area, um, where we live near the capital Springfield. Um, we don't live in Springfield, but we live near the capital, you know, in the surrounding area. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about some of the haunted areas in our hometown. So, woohoo. Anywho. Um, we're not going to be talking about your hometown, I'm sorry, unless you're from Springfield, Illinois, then we're going to be talking about your hometown. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Surprise, surprise. So, if you know anything about Springfield, Illinois, or Illinois in general, you know that it's the land of Lincoln. Illinois is pretty much only known for Abraham Lincoln and horseshoes. (laughs) Hell yeah, if you go to any other state, what's like... What's a horseshoe? If you go to Chicago, they're like, what's a horseshoe? They don't know what it is up there. Because it's a central Illinois thing. Uh But anyway, Springfield in particular is popular for Abraham Lincoln. We have the Abraham Lincoln Library here, all that stuff. His... His uh, his house, his home that he lived in, uh, he's buried here, you know, all that stuff. You have a big statue of his head with, you, with his gold nose, bronze nose, and you, like, rub his nose for good luck or whatever. It's not just known for Abraham Lincoln's time here. It's also known for Abraham Lincoln's ghost here. Yeah. So... While there are a number of spirits who are said to haunt this historic town, the most famous is that of Abraham Lincoln himself. According to over a century of legends, Abraham Lincoln continues to lurk around his tomb, now a state historic site, in Springfield. Sightings of the former president have been told almost every day since his body arrived in Springfield on May 3, 1865. After lying in the state capitol for a night, the body was placed in a receiving vault at Oak Ridge Cemetery. In December, Lincoln's remains were moved to a temporary vault not far from the new proposed memorial site. In 1871, three years after, laborers had begun constructing the permanent tomb. The body of Lincoln and those of the three youngest of his sons were placed in the crypts and the unfinished structure. The construction of the permanent tomb lasted for years, and it was at this time that the first sightings of a spectral Abraham Lincoln were reported as he wandered near the crypt. Others would report hearing the sounds of crying and footsteps near the site. In 1874, upon completion of the memorial, 
Lincoln's remains were in, uh, interred in a marble sarcophagus in the center of a chamber known as the catacombs, or burial, burial room. In 1876, however, after several Chicago criminals broke into the tomb, intending to kidnap the corpse and hold it for ransom, however, right. the attempt failed as one of the men in the gang was a spy for the Secret Service. Oh. <laughs> Phantom footsteps, whispers, muffled voices, and weeping. Along with our former president, Oak Ridge Cemetery also has reported that the apparitions of a small boy and a mysterious woman in a flowing red cape have been seen on the property. Lincoln has also been reported to have been seen walking the streets surrounding Springfield's original courthouse, as well as the hallways of his former home. Others have reported seeing the ghost of Mary Lincoln at their old home, located at 413 South 8th Street, as well as the Old State Capitol. Having a long-standing reputation as being haunted, reports range from apparitions of a woman to moving toys on their own accord. Most people believe that the house is haunted by Mary. Uh, maintained by the National Park Service today, the staff denies any reports of paranormal activity. They deny it? Uh-huh. Oh, come on. Right. Today, the Lincoln Home is the centerpiece of the Lincoln Home National Historic Site. Restored to its 1860s appearance, it stands in the midst of a four-block historic neighborhood in which the National Park Service also restored. Downtown Springfield is pretty much the best part of Springfield altogether. The rest of Springfield is just a shithole, so. Yep. <laughs> so the most interesting haunting surrounding Lincoln is the Phantom Funeral Train, said to be seen during the month of April, which is coming up here, Mm. On the anniversary of Lincoln's death, the ghostly train is said to ride those very same tracks that bore his body to Springfield in 1865. Reports indicate that this ghostly funeral procession is actually two trains, with the first steam engine pulling several cars draped in black, adorned with black streamers, and playing the sounds of mournful music. The second train is said to pull a flat car that carries Lincoln's coffin. Unfortunately, the train is said to never reach its final destination. The day before he left for Washington, Lincoln said he would return to Springfield, but it would be in a casket. When Lincoln did posthumously return on May 3rd, 1865, the entire dome of the Capitol was sheathed in black. Nearly every public building and most of his businesses were draped in black, mourning accoutrement. Springfield's population at the time was 12,000, but an estimated 150,000 people showed up and around 80,000 made it into the Capitol. For 24 hours, people mourned in and out of the Capitol, paying their respects to the beloved president. He was laid to rest at Oak Ridge Cemetery in Springfield, and his tomb is said to be haunted, as I said. Abraham Lincoln is said to have believed in the uh, supernatural world. Accounts by Lincoln himself tell us many strange visions and dreams he had throughout his life, and one dream may have predicted his death. Lincoln's ghost is also said to haunt the White House as well. His wife Mary embraced the spiritualist movement in the mid-1800s when it was all the rage. Rumors emerged as well that Mr. Lincoln may have had the gift. Mrs. Lincoln would continue her interest in spiritualism until her death. His ghost isn't very prevalent in, Spring in the Springfield home. However, at the White House, staff, presidents, first ladies, and even visiting dignitaries have all had encounters with Mr. Lincoln. Franklin D. Roosevelt and Dwight D. Eisenhower believed that they could feel Lincoln's presence in the room we now refer to as the Lincoln Bedroom. Eleanor Roosevelt and Grace Coolidge both had experiences. Queen Wilhelmina, I think I said it right, of the Netherlands was awakened by an insistent knocking. She rushed to open the door thinking that something was wrong only to be face to face with Mr. Lincoln, who suddenly disappeared right before her eyes. Winston Churchill is believed to have had two experiences. 
First, he was sitting on the edge of the Lincoln bed, pulling his boots on when he looked up and apparition of Lincoln gliding across the floor. On his second visit, he was taking up, this makes me so laugh. I love this story. On his second visit, he was taking a bath with a cigar and some brandy. He got out and walked to the adjoining room naked to see Lincoln leaning against the fireplace. He said to the spirit, good evening, Mr. President. You seem to have me at a disadvantage, sir. Oh my God! I love that story. What the? Oh um, my God! And uh, Lincoln smiled and faded into thin air. President Carter. This this is funny too. President Carter's daughter Amy had a play seance in the Lincoln bedroom with a oh Ouija God. board. It's nothing bad. <laughs> she believed that she was talking to Mister Lincoln, but a Secret Service agent had placed a microphone and speaker in the room and was having fun with her. <laughs> oh, what a dig! Oh, that's fun. <laughs> so, ha- have you heard of the Donner Party? No. You haven't heard of the Donner Party? The Donner Party left Springfield to immigrate to California on April 14, 1846. The group's experience is remembered today primarily because before the surviving members of the expedition were rescued, some of the snowbound pioneers reportedly resorted to cannibalism, which that is like the most popular part of that whole story. Not like, it was like the Oregon Trail, basically, you know, back then. They were, you know... So, and there it's is... like the game. Your bitch ass is going to fall in that river and you're not getting across without right? falling. And you scary. end up with, like, yellow fever and you <laughs> die. And there is, there is a plaque on the south side of the old Capitol Plaza that marks their departure point today. Some of the members of the party were... It was numbered... So, it said 90 earlier, but it said that it's numbered anywhere from 32 to 39 which I don't understand which one's right, but the nucleus was the families of George and Tamzine Donner, Jacob Donner, George's brother, and his wife Elizabeth and James Margaret Reed. George Donner previously had owned a farm near Mechanicsburg. Reed served with Abraham Lincoln during the Black Hawk War and uh, operated a furniture factory near what is now Riverton. Stranded travelers gradually were left with only hides to eat and then each other. The site of the tragedy is now a part of the Donner Memorial State Park near Truckee, California. The park contains the Immigrant Trail Museum and the Donner Campsite at Alder Creek as a National Historic Landmark. So now we're going to move on to spooky. Some of the ghosts in Springfield uh, reside at the Dana Thomas House. You know what that is? It is a house that was built and constructed and designed by Frank Lloyd Wright in 1902. This house is reported to still play host to its original owner, Designed for Springfield socialite Susan Lawrence Dana, she was said to have thrown lavish parties in her home as well as being a major contributor and volunteer to charitable causes in the city. Shortly after the home was finished, several family deaths caused Dana to turn to metaphysical and mystical religious groups for comfort. Before long, she became one of the city's leaders in the spiritualist movement that swept across America around the turn of the century. Her parties took a different turn when her involvement in the movement and soon her home became a spiritualist center where seances were common and large parties of occultists gathered. Maintained today by the state of Illinois, management denies any paranormal activity. However, there have been dozens of reports by other staff and visitors of objects which move on their own accord and the sounds of unseen people speaking in different paths of the house. The Dana Thomas House is located at 301 East Lawrence in Springfield. And it is also reported to be one of the most haunted houses in the area. We went there as a kid on a field trip. Dude, Lauren, wanna, what's this? Ha- where is this house? I want to go on Lawrence Street. I don't know. 
because I had to ask Preston and Roy what they know because they are in theater. So next um, is the Springfield Theater Center. Built in 1951, the Springfield Theater Center hosted performances at 101 East Lawrence through 2004 when they relocated to the Hoogland Center for the Arts in downtown Springfield. In addition to numerous wonderful performances throughout the years, the place is said to have been haunted for most of its existence. On May 13, 1955, an actor named Joe Neville left the theater after a dress rehearsal and then committed suicide once he returned home. Apparently, during an audit at the company where he worked, it was found that substantial funds had been misappropriated and a fellow employee pointed to Joe. Said to have been an eccentric and unfriendly fellow, he loved the theater and at the time he killed himself, he was scheduled to play his first lead role. After his death, the theater group re simply replaced him and the show went on. Which is what normally happens because the show must go on. Mm -hmm. I feel like... But apparently that wasn't the end of Joe. Returning to the theater after his death, his disposition evidently was as nasty as ever. Almost immediately, strange and inexplicable events began to occur. While some of these are seemingly harmless, such as lights turning on and off on their own, doors opening by unseen hands, and several who have reportedly seen Joe's filmy apparition. Filmy is weird. I think they mean hazy, but whatever. Oh. Other antics of Joe's are downright dangerous. On one occasion, there were two men who were building a set. One of the men voiced his skepticism about the ghost. The next thing they knew, the saw started up by itself. Several sheets of plywood fell to the floor, and a standing ladder was seemingly pushed over by unseen hands. Tampering with stage sets is the most common occurrence, but other small happenings occur, such as items moving on their own accord, missing costumes, and the pre-meeting... Wow. Permediating smell of Noxzema wafting through the air, despite the fact that the cr uh, cream was long ago banned in the theater. On one occasion, a girl reported having her hand held by an invisible escort while she was crossing the room. The Springfield Theater Center continues performances at their new home in the Hoagland, or Hoagland, depending on who you are, Center for the Arts building on East Lawrence. I had to ask Preston and Roy if they knew anything about this, um, because, like, they're in theater, Preston's a director, so, um, there is, um, apparently some stuff has happened in the boys' dressing room, uh, Preston saw some things that he couldn't explain, Roy said that he hasn't experienced anything, but he's heard people talk about weird things happening in the warehouse, and then there's the dressing room under the stage, but things happened all over the building, uh, Roy said that things were happening in the set shop and costume and props area. Then things like things falling off walls. Roy said it's creepy as fuck in the warehouse. Someone got locked when Preston was a kid. Someone got locked in the bathroom under the stage door, and there is no lock on the door. And then Roy even heard about people getting locked in the bathroom. All right, so yeah, that's the Springfield Theater Center. And then moving on to something that has actually been on a show on, I think, it, I don't remember the name of the show. I probably should have looked this up. But it may have been like one, some show on the Travel Channel. But this is the Lake Club that used to be in Springfield. Um, so firefighters were called to a scene near Lake Springfield in central Illinois on one early Sunday morning in August 1992. When they arrived, they found a dilapidated old building that had been closed for years uh, completely engulfed, engulfed in flames. The fire, which later turned out to have been deliberately set, destroyed a place called the Lake Club, a once grand restaurant and nightclub that had been set out, nope, that had been out of business since the 1960s. 
Other businesses had come and gone and in the building since the demise of the club, but most people recall the 1940s and 1950s as the golden age of the Lake Club. It was this time period that stories of big bands, live radio shows, and illegal gambling emerged as fond remembrances of yesterday. But it was also during this time that the stories of the club's resident uh, ghost emerged, a tragic nightclub employee who simply refused to leave. What? Yeah. Wait, no, go go back. Uh-huh. The Lake oh, Club gonna... The Lake Club opened as a nightclub in 1940, but the building on Foxbridge Road had seen many incarnations in the years prior to that, including including several restaurants and even a skating rink called the Joy Inn. In 1940, two dance promoters named Harold Henderson and oh, Hugo Giovanni. Foxbridge Road. Is there more than? Because I thought there was one, more than one Foxbridge Road. Is there just one? I think there might be another one. Okay, because this is I by think. the lake. Yeah. So I'm like, well, this was the 40s though. So. Oh um, yeah, true. Ooh. So in 1940, two dance promoters named Harold Henderson and Hugo Giovagnoli. Sorry if I said that wrong. Um, renovated the place and opened it for business as the Lake Club. The club soon became one of the hottest night spots in Illinois, drawing customers from all over the state. It boasted and raised a dance floor, surrounded by a railing with curved walls and a swanky atmosphere that made patrons feel as though a New York club had been transported to the shores of Lake Springfield. The owners concentrated on bringing big-name entertainers to the club and succeeded. Among the many top performer, performers were Bob Hope, Ella Fitzgerald, Guy Lombardo, Pearl Bailey, Spike Jones, Nelson Eddy, Woody Herman, Mickey Rooney, and many others. The constant stream of entertainers and big bands brought capacity crowds to the club every night. During the height of its popularity, the club even hosted a radio call-in show that broadcast music and entertainment all over the area. The Lake Club thrived for nearly two decades, becoming known not only for its swinging entertainment, but for its first-rate gambling as well. Wealthy customers and the society elite of Springfield and Decatur frequented the club for musical guests and also for the billiards tables, craps, and gaming tables, slot machines, and card games. This part of the club operated in secret in the back of the building, knowing only to high rollers and special customers. However, in December 1958, the golden days of the late club came to an end. The partners had survived many setbacks over the years, from lawsuits to foreclosures, um, but the club would not survive the two undercover detectives who had gained access to the gambling rooms that Christmas season. New Year's Eve at the Lake Club during its heyday, owner Hugo Giovagnoli is in the dark suit at the end of the bar. The bartender who took the photograph that night... Oh, wait, there's a picture. I didn't include it. Never mind. Um, the club was immediately shut down, although patrons continued dining and dancing while the actual raid was going on. This two wow. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I know, right? Well, the world's going to shit anyway, guys. Just might as well keep... Oh, hi. Right? Like, this is fine. The two state troopers who entered the gambling rooms were the first police officers to arrive, but many more followed. Newspaper accounts reported the police confiscated all sorts of gambling equipment, including tables, dice, slot machines, and large quantities of cash. The billiards table was also so large that they had to dis- uh, dismantle it to get the- out of the room. Harold Henderson died in 1977, and uh, Gio Vag- Vagnoli, whatever, it's managed to open the club again with other parties managing different projects in the building. During this time in the club's history, it was managed by Bill Carmine and Tom Blasco as a rock club. In 1980, it was leased by Pat Tavine, 
who also operated it as a rock club until 1988 when it closed down for good. The late club was destroyed in the fire just a few years later. According to many patrons and staff members who had experiences there, the haunting of the late club first began in 1974. At that time, the club was in the midst of a revival in interest and the business was under the ownership of Tom Blasco and Bill Carmine, two Springfield men who were booking rock acts into the club. The building itself was still owned by uh, Hugo and Harold. Bill Carmine was the first to notice that something strange was going on in the club. Both he and Blasco had experienced odd chills, odd, cold chills in the building, along with hearing odd sounds and getting the feeling of being watched in certain rooms. One afternoon, he came to the club and sat down at the bar with the lights off. Suddenly, he heard the sound of a piano being played in another room. He got up to see who was in the building with him, and he stepped into the room. The music stopped, and the room was empty. Weird things continued to happen. Often on Monday nights, while Carmine would be in the building going over the weekend receipts, he would hear a door near the office open and footsteps crossing the floor. He would jump from his seat to see who was there, but the hallway was always empty. Carmine also remembered a salesman visiting his office one evening when a glass flew off the table and hit the wall on the opposite side of the room. The salesman left in a hurry. <laughs> in 1976, the haunting had intensified and things began happening more often and in front of more witnesses. A club bartender was pouring a drink one night when the glass in front of him suddenly shot up into the air and landed over his shoulder. A waitress also experienced the antics of uh, the ghost one night when she went to serve a drink to a customer only to find the glass inexplicably filled with chocolate. She would later insist the glass had been absolutely clean when she handed it to the bartender. Carmine was the first of the uh, Carmine was the first of the club staff to guess the identity of the ghost who was plaguing the club. He recalled on that nope, he recalled that former employee had committed suicide in the building several years before. On a lark, he started calling the ghost by his name, which was Rudy. Albert Rudy Craner had worked in the club during its heyday in the 40s and 50s. He was described as being well-liked and popular with the entertainers and the customers. He was a very large man, over 250 pounds, and he had snow-white hair. He was remembered as one of the club's most memorable characters, and even 50 years later, I have spoken with people who remember him. I haven't, but the people, the person who wrote this has. <laughs> <laughs> they speak fondly of him and recall his, him as a nice man and their favorite bartender. So Rudy had began experiencing some personal difficulties and he was a very private person so no one really knew what was going on but they did notice that he began to drink heavily while on the job. They also began to notice that some changes in his personality and appearance. He seemed to be more tired than usual and had dark circles uh, appear under his eyes. Then one night he became sick and had to be rushed to the hospital. It took several men to carry him downstairs to the ambulance, and he returned to the club after a two-week stay in the hospital, but he was never the same. On June 27, 1968, Rudy shot himself with a high-powered rifle in one of the back rooms at the club. He died in the hospital the next morning, never regaining consciousness. No one was ever sure why Rudy had killed himself, but regardless, he wouldn't stay gone for long. In a few short years, he would return to haunt his beloved club. Which is crazy because um, it reminds me so much of, I can't remember, Carl, I think might have been his name. <laughs> it was the caretaker at Bobby Mackey's and it was a very similar situation where he just got really sick and he was drinking a lot and he was having a lot of personal issues and it was connected to the club. 
Visiting musicians had also reported strange occurrences like doors opening and closing by themselves, the sounds of footsteps, a drink that lifted off a table and then dumped into the customer's lap, uh, office equipment that operated on its own, feeling of being poked and prodded by unseen hands, and numerous other bizarre happenings. So in 19, in the summer of 1977, when Barbara Lard, a waitress at the club, had encountered Rudy himself, she was working one evening and went into the bathroom behind the back office. As she came out, she glanced over to the back bar and saw Rudy looking at her. She described what she saw as just a head hanging there in space, and although she could see through it, the head appeared lifelike. She said that the apparition had snow-white hair that she had never known or heard about or had even seen a photograph of Rudy. The apparition looked at her for a moment and then spoke, telling the waitress that one of the uh, owners of the club was going to die. It was not a threat, it was just a warning. Um, the waitress ran out of the room in tears, visibly shaking and close to hysterics. Other staff members who saw her that night reported that she was very frightened and that she was not a person known for being hysterical or easily frightened. Tom Blasco later stated that he went back into the room after Lard's encounter and claimed to feel the same bone-chilling cold that he always associated with Rudy's spirit. The two men waited and probably were more careful than usual like <laughs> when doing things like driving to work or climbing ladders. Two weeks after the incident, Harold Henderson, one of the original owners of the club, died. He was still the owner, technically, of the building itself and was an owner that Rudy would have known while he was alive. Uh-huh. So after the incident, um, Blasco was pretty shaken up. Um, he spent two weeks living in fear for his life and he thought that it was time to get rid of the ghost if possible. So in August 1979, Blasco attended a high school class reunion with which he ran into one of his former classmates, Reverend Gary Dilley, a priest who now lived in Fort Worth, Texas. Tom mentioned the problems at the club for to Father Dilley, and the priest was intrigued. After some discussion, he agreed to come to the club and took a look take a look around. He said later that he believed Blasco was sincere about what he had said was happening. And because he had known the man for many years and he's not the hysterical type. So after arriving at the club, Father Dilly was also sensed something out of the ordinary there. He experienced some unexplained cold chills as if someone was watching him. And he said later in an interview, I also had the feeling that someone was trying to communicate with me. So he was convinced that something was going on, but declined to do an exorcism of the club. To do that, the case would require a thorough investigation and permission from the local bishop, which he doubted that would get in he would get. Instead, he decided to bless the place and pray there, hoping that this would put Rudy to rest. Also, like, so Father Dilly contacted two other priests to take part in the ceremony, Father John Corridato of Kankakee and Father Gerald Leahy of Griffith High Griffin High School in Springfield. The three men were quick to point out that they were merely trying to bless the building to clear out any negative spirits and help at least one very restless soul to find peace. The three priests went from room to room in the club, blessing each with holy water and praying. They asked that any negative spirits depart from the building and prayed specifically for Rudy Craner. They entered the room in which he had committed suicide and prayed that his spirit be at rest. After this, there was pretty much nothing left. There was no no more presences. And they actually, they actually felt kind of sad after Rudy's spirit was gone. Um, they were just like, well, maybe it wasn't all that bad. <laughs> like, yeah. I kind of miss him now. It's kind of sad, you know. Yeah. Um, he was all right. right. He wasn't. And then like, it, what? Wasn't he the ghost that was crying? Rudy was, yeah. 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 
So apparently there is a uh, cemetery outside of Riverton on the way to Williamsville that is haunted and people have said that they've seen floating moving red lights in the trees behind the cemetery. Um, there are no houses or roads behind the trees either. I, uh, um, Roy said that he heard that there's also been um, spirits seen on gravestones. Um, but then also I saw in a forum that also in Riverton, Riverton is, uh, it, I could do a whole episode on Riverton. Riverton, if you don't know, is a small town outside of Springfield. It used to be known as Little Italy. There's a lot of Italian immigrants in that town. Um, a lot of them have died off now, but they have, you know, their generations of, uh, family living there now. But there, there's a place in Riverton called the Field of Dreams, and it's a giant football, soccer, kind of a recreation field for sports um, that was built quite a few years ago. And behind it, there's a subdivision. Well, before the subdivision was built, there used to be, supposedly, this is all alleged, because I've never seen it, but um, there used to be a house, a two-story house behind the Field of Dreams, and it was abandoned. Now, it apparently was abandoned in the 1800s, and all of the prior occupants stuff was still in the house. Oh. And there was somebody in a forum that I saw, because I was looking up, like, Central Illinois haunts, and this just happened to be in there. But there was a person who supposedly went to the house, couldn't get inside, didn't want to, like, break in or anything, but he looked in, and there was, like, all this shit was left behind. Damn. And it just looked like it was, nobody had touched it since the 1800s. And I think he said there was... <laughs> Some form of mail or paper, something that he saw outside of the house with the date 1883 on it. So, I don't know if that's true. It's all alleged. Nobody knows for sure. But, moving on, the reason that I mentioned Riverton is because there is a place just outside of Riverton, in between Riverton and Springfield, called Devil's Hole. Now, there are, there are Devil's Holes that exist all over the place. It is actually just a geographical, uh, not geographical, geological thing that happens sometimes when a giant hole, it's like a sinkhole, opens up in the ground and fills up with water. Now, I wish I had more information on Devil's Hole. I know that there's tons of these places, like I said, just like crybaby bridges and so on, all over the country and probably the world. So in a local forum, a person wrote, name redacted for, I don't know if they want their name on the podcast, so um, they said, I have been to Devil's Hole. Every time I go near that place, I feel like I'm going to pass out. Sometimes I have actually passed out just being near there. Uh, My friends have driven by there a couple times, and there are voices along with touching involved. I was told that being there can get you arrested, which is true, so I haven't been there lately. Devil's Hole is not an actual hole. It's actually a pond that has no bottom. It was discovered when two kids went missing, and it has bad juju ever since. Supposedly, there is a group of devil worshippers that worship at the hole and sacrifice animals. Also, a creepy supposed hospital that is apparently a mental hospital and supposedly a church. It is also supposedly watched 24-7 by security. And for many years, all of my life at least, it has been used as a cautionary tale to not dig around in the woods. Okay, so um, we men- I mentioned Preston and Roy earlier in the episode because they gave me some uh, information about the Legacy Theater, the original, you know, Springfield Theater Center. Um, they gave me some inf- information about that, and I did mention them. So they are here now to talk about Devil's Hole because we're all from the same area. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Of course, in high school, when we were all trying to 
scare ourselves and be like, we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna do this because we've heard that you know babies' fingerprints go all over your car if you t- like sit on the bridge, turn <laughs> off all your lights, yeah. and then when you turn them on, your windows are supposed to be just filled with fingerprints. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. Right. But or cry baby bridge. Or they, yeah. <laughs> or they push you across the bridge or something. Something. Yeah. 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 You know that that whole urban legend type yeah. thing. Yeah. But the the scary experiences that I've had with actual Devil's Hole is from when I was a kid. And I remember my mother was always like, you know, she she was telling us stories about the lore that what she grew up on and mm-hmm. um, how when we were, like, I, I always like, I want to go to Devil's Hole. I want to see the boxcar. My mom was just like, what have I told you? The boxcar's too deep and two boys died going down there to go into the boxcar. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, okay. So I remember, so one night I was, uh, my mom and I were going to my aunt's house. Okay. And, uh, um, but my mom's car uh, was having some uh, fun issues and ah. it actually broke down right around Devil's Hole. Mm. Luckily, we, you know, you know, it basically the battery died. We just had to get a jump and everything. But while we were sitting there waiting for someone to come jump us, mm-hmm. I swear to you, I heard children laughing. I'm not like I, I yeah. And the thing is, is I wasn't even trying to freak myself out or anything mm-hmm. like that. I, I was more trying to figure out. I'm like, mom, isn't this where Devil's Hole is? Like, cause I was still a, a, like young. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm like. Okay, I'm gonna get back in the car now. <laughs> and she's like, "What's wrong, Preston?" I said, "I'm hearing children laughing." And she's like, "Stop being ridiculous. Stop trying to scare me." I'm like, "I'm not trying to scare you. I'm scared." I'm like, <laughs> my cousin is the one who came and uh, provided us a jump, and my mom and I were arguing because I'm like, "No, mom, sh- listen." And she finally heard it. Oh, really? She heard the laughing. Oh my god! And she's just like. <laughs> okay, where's your cousin? Where's your cousin? So finally, like you know, our cousin pulls up, and we tell uh, we tell him like you know what we both experienced, and they're like he's just like oh, you guys are stupid. Like, you can guess what uh-huh. cousin I'm talking about. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, that was like um, like both my mom and I. I bet if you anything, if I asked her, she wouldn't remember though. She right. wouldn't remember that at all. Yeah. But I remember it like it was yesterday. Creepy. That's creepy. There's 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 no chance that there was any kids around in any houses at that area. Like you would not hear it from that from not where from, that it's is. It's so desolate. I don't I mean yeah. there are houses around there's the there. There's the trailer but park like, that like is right there. Yeah. But it, the trailer park that uh like where where we got stuck was on the other side of Devil's Hole, so technically mm-hmm. Devil's Hole was behind us not yeah. in front of us uh-huh. yeah. so we were too far away from like any houses yeah to hear a child laughing that clearly right yeah, yeah and it's all blocked off now like you can't even get like you can't go past the gravel at oh, devil's wow. hole yeah and there is a like observation tower right there and then there's also like and you look on Google Maps, and you can see it looks like buildings around there. And there's apparently, uh, supposedly, an old church and an old like hospital of some sort what? over there. I did not what? hear about this. At yeah, all. Oh, that's if you, creepy. If you look from like like above, it, you can see like at least one a, the Google Earth building. Earth? We can look at up. We can look I'm at it. Google but Earth. yeah, you can see it looks like there's like a building, a couple buildings there, and you can see like there's like a circle. That shows where the hole is, 
and then there's like it looks like a couple buildings one of them might be the observation tower uh-huh. but then there's like another building why is there an observation tower maybe maybe before it was blocked off they had people up there like surve- uh, surveillancing or whatever yeah. i was gonna say i know that the illinois department of natural resources will monitor and do scientific surveys on that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Does so. Devil's Hole have an actual name? Well, Devil's Google? Hole is the name of the hole because there's Devil's Holes in other places, yeah. like other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So Devil's Hole is just the name for the hole. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't think it has like a proper name. I think it's just Devil's Hole. Mm-hmm. But I took Ashley out there and it is, I mean, it is desolate. I mean, there's houses around, but it's kind of like Crybaby Bridge where it's just like kind of a creepy road there's houses around, but it's very it's quiet. Not, like, whenever when we say houses around, we're talking blocks and blocks away from where we yes. live. More than blocks, like yeah. acres. Yeah, acres yeah. away. So many people. Blocks. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just that I remember that specific area being like our local urban legend yeah. around there, and there's so many different stories: satanic worshiping, oh, yeah. you know, witchcraft. Uh, Oh yeah. Um, well, there's a story um, that of these like this kid that like he I don't know if he was riding his bike or what, but he ended up in the hole and they went to rescue him and they couldn't find him. That's what the story my mom was telling okay, about. Okay, yeah. And they okay. just kept going and going and going and couldn't find like a bottom of the hole. The story that my mom tells me about Devil's Hole. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I'm sure if you guys talked about it, you may have said the same story because I'm I'm basically. Uh, hijacking this episode because I made her. So the story that my mom always told us about what really happened, like what, why they call it Devil's Hole or something is because there's this pit of water, basically, mm-hmm. almost a, like a perfect circle pit of water mm-hmm. that goes down so deep that there is a boxcar train standing on its end and people can't reach it. Mm-hmm. So they call it Devil's Hole. My mom said that there were two boys who went down to try to go find the boxcar, and they drowned, and they couldn't find the bodies. Mm-hmm. That was like the that was the story that my mother told me about. I've never actually been to this pit. I've never seen this pit mm-hmm. because I've never been able to get back to it. And when I was a kid, my mother never wanted to go to it. We just always drove near because there. I guess there used to be a road that went to it. Obviously, because yeah. yeah. you said there's buildings and everything. Yeah. But that road has been closed off ever since I because my mother would never drive down the road. She was too scared. So by the time I was able to drive, it's already been closed off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in high school, I went to see it because, of course, high school bad kids, like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to go see the scary place <laughs> to prove we're tough. Like, I was just like, what is this bullshit? Okay, big hole. Sure, I'll come see it. Why the hell not? <laughs> so I went, and, I went and looked at it, and yeah, it's a big hole. And, I mean, nothing, nothing scary happened to me there, but I heard so many stories from people having super weird experiences around it. Yeah. So. So one of the um, explanations for why there could be so many creepy experiences is if this devil's hole is similar to the devil's hole in Nevada, Mm -hmm. which a lot of them are similar, it could be a limestone geothermal pool. Limestone is known to conduct uh, creepy experiences. A lot of buildings that are made out of sandstone, limestone, a lot of those buildings that are made out of that stuff can almost record energy. Huh. And can create experiences and create create like uh, a paranormal quote unquote experience. 
So that could be an explanation for why there's so many creepy things around Devil's Hole. Because, like I said, in Nevada, there's a Devil's Hole. And it is defined as a geothermal pool with a limestone cavern in the uh, Amaragosa Desert in Amaragosa Valley, Nevada. So it it's like the water has a constant temperature. It like never ends, and it's very similar to our Devil's Hole. So theoretically, down in our Devil's Hole, there could be like a cavern. There could underneath. be underneath. There very well could be. Yeah, that's interesting to think about. Under ooh, I'm not gonna go down there explore. That's interesting to think about because actually there are quite a few. Uh, underground mines mm-hmm. that aren't used anymore underneath Springfield and surrounding areas. Yeah. Like, a lot of them. Oh, yeah. And so, who knows what can actually be down there because so, it's prime for it. My aunt, his grandma, whenever she was still alive, lived in Dawson. Mm-hmm. And she, her house that used, she used to live in is slowly, like, caving in because Dawson mm-hmm. is built over mines. Yep. And so it, I drive by her house all the time, and every time I drive by, it's just slowly caving. And I'm like, it's gonna just envelop, get enveloped by the earth eventually. Yeah, it could. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, but yeah. So um, yeah, I just wanted to break in with that because we're all from the same area. So back to Sam and Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, it is Editing Sam here, and I forgot to mention my sources. So, uh, my sources for this episode are hauntedplaces.org, legendsofamerica.com, and a book by Garrett Moffitt called Haunted Springfield, Illinois. So that is uh, Hometown Hauntings. I'm, there's probably going to be another one of these because there's so much more that I couldn't put in here. So we forgot to record an outro, so I guess I'll do that now. If you have a haunted town that you would like to tell us about, you can send it in at thecreepshow18 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at The Creep Show Chronicles and Twitter at The Creep Show 1. That's Ashley. I'm Sam. Stay creepy. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Creep Show Chronicles. Follow us on social media and share our show so we can grow our audience.